This is Primal Screen, a weekly radio show airing Monday evenings on Triple R. Primal Screen is about movies, from the ones on the big screen to the ones you stream. Hope you enjoy the podcast version and feel free to get in touch via the Primal Screen Facebook page or the Triple R website. Welcome to Primal Screen, a Triple R film criticism show and podcast. Everybody be cool. You be cool. I'm your host, Paul Anthony Santanico Pandemonium Nelson. And joining me are Sally Christie, or should I say Dr. Von Christie? <laughs> you should say Dr. Von Christie for sure. <laughs> Hello, Paul. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. Thank you. And Flick Ford. Who picked the wrong week to quit sniffing glue? <laughs> I did, didn't I? <laughs> <laughs> oh, well. Some clues there for what's to come. Um, hope all of our listeners are staying well and safe and, and sane and home, uh, taking the opportunity to catch up on some great movies, new and old, as you, we, and everyone we know are going through some kind of tough time at the moment. We've, uh, you've probably been diving into your own personal comfort movies to help you get through all this. So here at Primal Screen, we thought it'd be fun to share with you what some of our comfort movies are and where you can find them. All three movies we're going to talk about tonight can be found on streaming or online rental platforms. I'm not going to tell you what the films are yet. As I said, my introduction provided some clues, but we're going to have a lot of fun discussing them. So stay tuned. Now, before we crack into the week in movie news, we just wanted to remind you all that now it's now April, uh, which means it's April amnesty time here at Triple R. We do this subscription drive every year, but this might be the most important in our station's history. We're committed to being your station in isolation, staying on air to keep you connected with fun talk and fine tunes during this time of physical distancing, but we can't do it alone. We've already lost crucial sponsorship revenue due to the coronavirus' effect on those businesses. And without expanding our subscriber base or having our current lovely subscribers recommit, we're in danger of losing our station. Community radio services are vulnerable at the best of times. So now, while we know it can be difficult, we need you more than ever. So if you're in any position at all to be able to afford to support us, every little bit helps. Please consider digging as deep as you can and subscribing, renewing your subscription or donating to Triple R this April. And the cool thing is, if you do so, you'll go into the draw to win some amazing prizes. Um, so jump onto rrr.org.au or give us a call on 93881027 to subscribe or donate now. But first... It's time for the Primal Screen News Bulletin for the week. QRKO beeps. So as coronavirus social restrictions ease in China, it's being reported that the Chinese film and TV industries are slowly blinking back to life, albeit with strict regulations imposed, with production presuming on, su- uh, presuming? Resuming on such projects as Zhang Yimou's new film, Impasse, and TV series Legend of Fei and Like a Flowing River. 
The um, their names of shows apparently I've never heard of either of them. Uh, <laughs> the move follows attempts to restart the economy across China, with some cinemas, tourist attractions, and schools reopening. Production chiefs are believed to have instituted regulations such as quarantine for film crew and a requirement to prove knowledge of epidemic prevention, whatever that means, as local authorities provide financial incentives such as equipment rental and catering to to encourage producers to keep shooting. As cases of COVID-19 seem to have begun to reappear in China at times, it'll be interesting to see how long this lasts. In the US now, where see, do, you, do you like that? I just sounded like a, a, an actual like newscaster. In the, you really <laughs> did. You really did. Thank you. And then I burst the bubble instantly. Uh, in the US now, where Amazon Prime Video have partnered with the cancelled South by Southwest Film Festival to launch what they're calling a film festival collection, screening works from filmmakers who had been scheduled to screen at the 2020 event in Austin, Texas. The eligible filmmakers have all been given the chance to opt into the virtual festival, slated for a 10-day run later, uh, sometime later this month, according to a South by Southwest press release. If the filmmakers choose to screen their films, they will receive a screening fee and a no-strings-attached participation. Amazon will not own the films and filmmakers will be able to pursue other distribution options. The virtual South by Southwest Film Festival will be available for free to US audiences on Amazon Prime Video, although there's no word as yet as to whether non-US audiences will get to access the film. I always wondered, was Australian Prime the same as US Prime? Because I always just assumed that it was. Yeah, So, okay, that's a bummer because I was kind of really looking forward to that. (laughs) I know. It sounds super cool. And, yeah, I completely don't know which way we're going to land on it because I listened to a podcast that uh, talks about a lot of you know, obscure mm-hmm. films and they're often going, oh, you can find this on Prime. And I search for it and it's like, no, it's not you there. can't hear. Okay. Yeah. So, no, we do have a different program, sadly. Um, and finally, in some rather lovely news, Prospect Cottage, the home of late UK queer filmmaker and activist Derek Jarman, which had been kept up by Jarman's filmmaker, uh, uh, sorry, Jarman's partner, Keith Collins, as a place of pilgrimage and inspiration for artists the world over since the filmmaker's 1994 death from AIDS, was in danger of being lost after Collins himself died in 2018, but a massive crowdfunding campaign spearheaded by Jarman's friend and muse, Tilda Swinton, raised 3.5 million poons, um, comprised of 7,300 donations, becoming the largest ever arts crowdfunding campaign. The art fund will now be able to purchase, conserve and maintain the cottage, including its apparently magnificently manicured garden, and find a permanent public program uh, it will fund a, a permanent public program that will include residencies for artists, academics, writers and gardeners, as well as small by appointment tours for members of the public. Swinton, who was with Jarman when he first, uh, who was with Jarman when he first uh, saw and fell in love with the house, said, what could be a clearer indicator of our collective commitment to a rich and inspiring future than this phenomenal response? So there you go. Oh, that's nice to have some good news. Yeah, <laughs> and um, before we get on to our comfort films, I think it's worth suggesting a few little uh, movie clubs and things that are going uh, on online. Um, you can access them anywhere, which is at the one that I've been looking at this week is the AFI, so the American Film Institute's movie club, where they're recommending a film each day and they're having an introduction by someone. So Helen Mirren introduced some like hot the other day. The, my absolute delight, <laughs> Paul knows what I'm going to say, is Morgan Freeman 
introduced Baz Luhrmann's Moulin Rouge and says that it's his favourite film, which was a bit of a surprise, <laughs> but I'm quite delighted by that. Um, Sally's been obsessed with the thought I, I of, what, of Morgan Freeman delightedly watching Moulin Rouge. I can't stop week. thinking about it. It's, it's really what's got me through the week is thinking about Morgan Freeman watching Moulin Rouge. <laughs> Um, oh, here comes <laughs> Del Tango de Roxanne. No, that's not. That's not Morgan Freeman. I so, need to work on that. So <laughs> that's happening there. Um, I think today Robert De Niro introduced Doctor Strange Love. So wow. every single day there's somebody introducing a film and they're telling you where you can access it. Um, also, Kyle McLaughlin is hosting a Twin Peaks watch party, which is happening um, on the 8th of April, which will mean the 9th of April for Australia. Um, I think it will be the pilot. Uh, it, he was asking his Instagram followers to vote on what episode they wanted to see, and I think it's going to be the pilot. So if you want some more details on that, have a look at Kyle McLaughlin's Instagram. But um, this, and also, of course, Melbourne Cinematheque are doing yes. um, their virtual Cinematheque, which is happening, is it every Wednesday night flick? Yeah, yeah. that's right. Yeah, just... Um, Go on to the Acme website. That's probably the easiest way. Or yep. Cinematic and follow follow the link. Yeah. So there's heaps yeah. of cool stuff like this happening at the moment, which yeah, I'm I'm really getting a kick out of. I love all the little Facebook groups that have popped up as well. With like, there's quarantine cinema and there's yes. another one oh like isolation cinema or something like that. So yep. check those out as well. They had Safe um, programmed on one of those Todd Haynes oh. film, and that just like warmed my heart. I thought, <laughs> what a perfect isolation film. <laughs> Quarantine Cinema was put together by a filmmaker, uh, Reese Graham, an Australian filmmaker, and he's like got this full-on Cinematech-style program for it with notes and curation, and it's the most intense thing I've seen. It's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I actually I love that this is given an opportunity for people who may not have the funds but have that pro those programming skills just to put stuff out there as well, like either people from the film community or actual you know industry. Um, experts it's such a I don't know there's some perks to this I think yeah. so too yep no, I love it um and you know opens people up to all sorts of uh, wild and wonderful movies which we are which you know what we're all about speaking of which let's unveil our first comfort movie of the night shall we let's do the time The Rocky Horror Picture Show was the third, I believe, feature film directed by Australian Jim Sharman, is the tale of sweethearts Brad and Janet stuck with a flat tyre during a storm who discover the eerie mansion of a Dr. Frank N. Furter, a scientist. As their innocence is lost, Brad and Janet meet a house full of wild characters, including a handyman, a domestic, a groupie, an ex-delivery boy, and a rival scientist, as Frank Inferta unveils his latest creation, a muscular man named Rocky. All of this is narrated by a criminologist. Sally, as this was your comfort movie pick, what about this film makes you give yourself over to absolute pleasure time and again? Well, I'm really nervous to speak about this film because I would even go as far as saying this is my favourite film of all time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I, w- I first watched the Rocky Horror Picture Show when I was probably about four with my mum, so way too young, and I was just <laughs> I was bedazzled by it all and I became really obsessed with it and I still am. And it, 
has these constant layers that, you know, it's either, um, you know, the songs from when I was younger, the film references now that it just, it ticks every box for me. It's a horror film. It's a science fiction film. It's a musical. It's a romance. It's a queer film. It's got punk sensibilities. It's just, it, it is, there's so much going on here. Um, the one thing that I guess I really genuinely love about this film is that it has a sense of community. It is mm. the epitome of cult cinema um, with all of its kind of, I guess, late night screenings and it is a homage to late night, late night films. Um, there's all these weirdos that can get together and they make connections through this film and that's what I just genuinely love about it is that it's this little cinema space for freaks and weirdos to get together and be celebrated, even though um, at the end of it, I guess it does heteronormativity wins over at the end, but I don't think that's the overall message of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> does it though? Uh, I don't know. I've, I've only seen Shock Treatment once, the sequel. I, did, I didn't love it. But, no. Um, but, yeah, this movie, like I said, I find it really difficult to talk about because it is so, so special to me. I just, it's, yeah, like it, it has everything that I, I needed in a film and I find it completely, completely joyous every time I watch it. And I've Aww. seen it. I've seen it. God, this is the film that I've watched more than any other film ever. How many times? Pick a number. Well, then there was a point when I was uh, probably in primary school, I came home and I watched it every day when I got home from school. Wow. wow. I've seen this movie a lot of times. <laughs> I'm embarrassed. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the nerd in me is coming out right now. <laughs> at least you get a at least you get a cool film to have that for. Mine was like Sound of Music. <laughs> so, <laughs> and also Mary Poppins. I was a bit obsessed with that as a child. <laughs> but like Sound of Music, you like you, if you watch that after school, you'd have to go to bed by the time it finished. Like when do you have dinner? <laughs> goes for a long it's like time. Nine yeah. hours long. Nuts. <laughs> you just fast forward the boring bits. Come on. <laughs> um, that is such a heartwarming start to our show, Sally. And I love how um, we were teasing you last week about how emotional you got over Welcome to Whoop Whoop. But I feel like this time your emotion is very much I'm, warranted. I'm about to burst into tears. No, I'm not. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> Um, I'm so glad you picked this film. This was my favourite for this week for sure. Um, wow. Yeah, I I just loved it. I was so nice. I haven't watched, um, I don't know, I think I just really needed it this week. I think we all needed it. And it's just wonderful. Um, so performative. Tim Curry, oh, my gosh, what a star. Like, I was, just I was so charismatic. Reading, I was reading um, oh, that excellent book called Midnight Movies mm. where they were saying that essentially the Rocky Horror Picture Show isn't an erotic film. The only erotic thing about it is Tim Curry. Which is <laughs> so true. Yeah. Like it is. It's so oh, I've got a second. Susan Sarandon? Surprisingly not. Oh, really? She's my I second. love her in it and she's, she looks amazing and she's great. But uh, something about Magenta just captured yeah. my imagination yes. for about five years in my early 20s. Yep. I yeah, see. I can understand that as well. Yeah. I feel like there's a lot of sexiness in this film yeah. and there's a lot of heart to it as well. And uh-huh. it's so funny. Like I I had such a fun time watching this. I love the start um, of the film with the red lips um, yes. and the black screen. And like as a child of the 80s, it reminded me of Molly Grubbs, that TV show. Oh, yeah. shit. 
we go up and kiss the screen at yeah. the end. But a very different kind of kiss for yeah. Rocky Horror. <laughs> but I'm, I think it's actually inspired by a Man Ray painting um, mm. or something yes, like that. So, yeah, yeah so not, not um, inspired in any way by Marley Grubbs. But um, <laughs> I, um, I just Maybe Marley Grubbs was inspired by yeah. Rocky Horror. Quite you imagine? You know what? I can imagine that. It's mm. got that same wacky sort of. <laughs> humor going on um yeah it's just an amazing little setup um I feel like it's interesting I can see how this was a really crucial film for a lot of um people who were coming out or for the queer community to really hold on to this film I do agree that the ending maybe is a little bit disappointing in that respect um but there's so much else in there that I think there's lots of subversive readings you could have yeah, of this film I, and I still enjoy it. I, I I feel that yeah, the ending is is disappointing in mm. in that regard for sure. But I don't think that that's what the takeaway is from the film. I don't think no. anybody comes away from the film going, Brad and Janet, they're still going to get married. And oh, no. no, I don't. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely not. I loved that they really set make so much fun of heteronormativity as well Mm. I mean the film really delights in that and that's something that is so um fantastically executed Mm um I I mean this is a film from 1975 so the politics are pretty interesting like there would have been a lot of movement um political um engagement around those issues but I feel like it's still really powerful and the way in which um they just so much um I don't know, just it kind of goes there. It goes to a lot of really um, risque places. And yeah, I think does. that that was, it's, there's a real joy to that. And just the, the, the costume design before you were talking about um, the punk aesthetic of it. And mm. I'm, isn't this film, and Sally, I'm sure you'd be much better placed to answer this, but isn't this, um, the costuming for this, wasn't, didn't it actually inspire a lot of the punk movement aesthetics later on? I think there was something. I think in, a lot of punk aesthetics were probably around at the time that this came out, but we definitely see that through costuming mm. with Frank and with um, Meatloaf's character as yeah. well, with Eddie, oh. that we see that that punk come through. It's <laughs> totally a pre-punk movie. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, mm. just how... Um, how wonderful is meatloaf as well? <laughs> it's, all, it's, it's just it's it's fun. Like it's just it's a consistent source of joy. This film. Yes. Yeah. Mm. I, I completely agree. I yeah. Counterpoint. <laughs> yes. Thank you, Sal. Counterpoint. The the the. I mean, look. The ending is Brad and Janet are forever changed. Um, the people enforcing the so-called heteronormativity are a potentially incestuous brother and sister, who are kind of the brass you know what I mean it's almost like society keeping those people down you know it's like this is almost like they turn out to be almost like the enemy yeah um yeah and and it's also you know Frank is kind of using other people as his playthings and you know that's not cool um taking away their agency as it were um you know I, I think you could I think you could read a lot of things into that 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 you know isn't necessarily the uh heteronormativity wins kind of argument yeah I can. Uh, I agree. I can see where you mean there. Mm. Yep. Mm. I, I think. Yeah. I mean, I I love this film. I I had it like a Rocky Horror mega uh, like comic book slash magazine when I was about six, and it was like just colourful and it looked kind of horror ish and I thought it was cool. But I didn't come to the film until I was about twelve or thirteen. And it was like, oh my god, okay, this is not a six year old shouldn't have had anything <laughs> like this, but. Yeah, I, I I really really have always 
loved um, this film. And it's so distinctive. It's so ahead of its time in so many ways, mm-hmm. particularly in terms of the depiction of sexuality and the, you know, freedom. And, um, but also there's something very singular about its production design and costume design as well. That sort of the minute you see this film or even hear it, the music it has one of my best, uh, 20th century Fox fanfares of all time. Yeah. Where it's kind of Rocky horrified. Oh, yeah. I love that. And you <laughs> that instantly like, know yeah. it. Mm-hmm. And, and how, and it, oh, sorry, I was just going to say, how wonderful is it when you're like such a film, um, film obsessed nerd and then you hear that and it's just like such a wonderful remix. It like, yeah. Yeah. It's, <laughs> well, because this was initially before 20th century Fox picked it up, um, a stage show in the UK and it was. Mm-hmm hugely hugely successful so 20th century fox picked it up and was like okay the film's going to do amazingly and it didn't initially and um yeah it was a, it was a major flop for 20th century fox but came on to become went on to become one of like the i think it's one of the most screened films ever in the world well it's the only film that's been continuously screening for the last 40 years yep continually in play somewhere yep. um which is a, a guinness world record mm-hmm. um and of course it caught fire in the midnight circuit um but yeah this i mean this film is so wonderful i mean we could literally do a whole show about the rocky horror picture show i think um but i mean tim curry i, I just gotta say that arrival is one of the all-time <laughs> great film debuts <laughs> Like I've never seen somebody just go and take the screen by the lapels. You know? Every every single film that we're covering tonight, I, I have quite a sense of nostalgia with all of them. But when I was in grade four, I did Red Faces and I dressed up as Tim Curry from um, Rocky Horror and I did the whole sweet transvestite routine. So <laughs> what, on television? No, no, no. At school. Oh, not, at not real Red Faces. <laughs> okay. I thought you'd been on Red Faces. Same. No, 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 no. I was, was like, what a red, reveal. It was Red Faces at primary school. So <laughs> I'm surprised my parents didn't get a phone call after that. <laughs> Don't think we could top that. Um, That's I mean, wonderful. Yeah, I mean, we've got two more films to talk about. We could literally chat about this one all day. But, um, yeah, this this is a stone-cold classic. Um, I feel like this and Phantom of the Paradise are just like the – ultimate sort of weird mid-70s fox rock musical double feature um and yeah but it's it's genuinely yeah it's such a it's such a empowering film such a yeah as you say Sally, a film that encourages community in so many ways and and so fun and distinctive and endlessly rewatchable so if you want to endlessly re-watch the rocky horror picture show it's now available to rent or buy on youtube rentals itunes or google play you're listening to primal screen on triple r Triple R on FM, digital, online, and via the app. You're listening to Primal Screen on Triple R with Flick Ford, Sally Christie, and myself, Paul Anthony Nelson. Triple R uh, currently uh, going through April Amnesty. Uh, it's our annual April subscription drive. It's never been more important to the survival of our station. Um, Given the current situation, uh, we're committing to remaining your companion throughout this period of social distancing and isolation and continuing to support others affected by the crisis and the people and causes that matter. So if you are still in a position to afford to support us, please consider digging deep and subscribing, donating or renewing your subscription um, uh, uh, this April and you can go into the draw to win all those prizes. Uh, you simply jump onto rrr.org.au or give us a call on 9388-1027 uh, to, give, uh, to help us out. 
Thank you so much. So now hit the couch and join us as we hit play on our next comfort movie. I am serious, and don't call me Shirley. Airplane. Classic. Airplane, uh, or popularly known locally as Flying High, uh, was the debut feature film written and directed by David Zucker, Jim Abrahams, and Jerry Zucker, known collectively as ZAZ, or Zucker Abraham Zucker. Alcoholic pilot Ted Stryker, played by Robert Hayes, has developed a fear of flying due to wartime trauma. What war? It's unclear. Uh, (laughs) But nevertheless, boards a passenger jet in an attempt to woo back his stewardess girlfriend, Elaine, played by Julie Haggerty. Food poisoning decimates the passengers and crew, leaving it up to Stryker to land the plane with the help of Elaine. A glue-sniffing air traffic controller, uh, played by Lloyd Bridges, Stryker's vengeful former Air Force captain, played by Robert Stack, who must both talk him down. Flick, this was your pick. <laughs> um, I, I don't have a line. I, I just... <laughs> you know, it's funny. We were commenting on the um, Primal Screen Facebook page before about, like, how obvious it is for who's picked which film this week. And um, I'm kind of embarrassed that I've got this really dumb comedy thrown in there, but it's it's accurate. It's... Um, it is... <laughs> It's kind of, um, it's ruined any branding I had as a serious film academic, but um, mm-hmm. look, I'm willing to take that bullet because this is just such a, um, yeah, it's an old time favourite of mine. I just cannot, um, I just find Leslie Nielsen hilarious. As soon as he enters any <laughs> any screen for me, I just lose it laughing. I, I, I'm so. the same flick. Like I just think, just the thing that he was playing it kind of straight up until this role is baffling to me because he is just so funny. <laughs> I completely agree. I actually only know him through his um, comedy roles. So, um, yeah, I just I, I just find him hilarious. And I love that constant checking in of, um, <laughs> of good luck, even after they've well and truly landed the plane. <laughs> just dumb humour. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that's what I love most about this. We, you know, the whole purpose of this week was to choose films that would be like feel good films for all the listeners so um we cover so many heavy topics on this show and especially with a lot of the content you know often we have to talk about trigger warnings and I feel like a lot of the films that I watch for my own research are really dark and quite depressing and it's usually the films that I enjoy watching as well that are like horrifically violent but it's just so nice to sink into this film and like not every joke is you know gonna land exceptionally well but there's just so much comedy gold in this there's um some really awkward bits with um Peter Graves playing this the <laughs> pilot and um the young boy Joey who gets to go into the cockpit and just as an, an additional thing they actually played um father and son in this um 1950s tv series so it's like got that added intertextuality of like that just being a weird setup um <laughs> And there's lots of little inside jokes and that's what I love about this film is you can really dive into the trivia around it and um, even that bit about uh, the woman who's just like, hmm, Jim never has a second cup of coffee at home (laughs) and that's like from this advertisement and she's the main actor from that advertisement. So there's lots of like, (laughs) like Easter eggs throughout this film. Um, but it's just like a dumb comedy and it's, I mean that in the best way and I I just find it endlessly um, endearing. But it's it's a fantastic dumb comedy, and um, it's I would it's one of the most quotable films yes. ever. I think it's I what like I said before, 
all three of these films that we're looking at tonight have a real nostalgia for me and this one does in the sense that I used to watch this growing up with my dad all the time, you know. Hmm. Um, and it's just re-watching it, it is still so funny. Like it's stupid humour but it's, it's, it's okay to watch things that are really yeah. dumb. Actually, and oh, so I was going to say, I don't know if it's been mentioned yet, but it is a spoof of um, Zero, Zero Hour. hour. Yeah. I actually, I have never seen Zero Hour. Nor have I. Um, it makes me want to watch it. Yeah. You've got to watch them as a double at some point. 1957, yeah. I think Zero Hour was released yep. and I actually watched the trailer of it before we went on air tonight and it it looks pretty much beat for beat of airplane <laughs> like it really does of like you know is there anyone here that can fly the plane uh, possibly I couldn't do it so the whole kind of thing like it looks like really really similar so I'm keen to go and watch Zero Hour because I haven't um Yep. Zucker Abraham Zucker literally bought the rights to Zero Hour. They paid two and a half grand to Warner Brothers and Paramount because they were afraid of being sued. They wanted to cover their butts because, like, we literally are replicating the screenplay beat for beat and then putting it on. Oh, really? So it's that similar? Yeah. Because, yeah, in in the trailer, it it does look that similar, but, you know, trailers, whatever. Yeah. But, yeah, wow. Okay. Very yeah, there's a lot of subsequent stuff they've thrown in, like stuff from references to from what Saturday Night Fever and Saturday Night Fever. <laughs> it's amazing though. There's so many references that are like would be forgotten to time now in terms of like younger audiences, but I think still work because the jokes are still wonderfully absurd. I think that too. I I kind of think I I, I hate it when people say that a film still holds up. But um, I do think that young audiences could still uh, this is still accessible to them and it's still funny to them. You know, it, it doesn't need to be. Um, you don't need to be of that that sort of age group to sort of get this. There's yeah, even yeah. been some great memes made about the coronavirus around airplane with him walking into the airport and punching people and kicking them and you know. So it's <laughs> now, you know. Like, you don't need to know Saturday Night Fever to know that, you know, uh, to swinging a person around by their feet and then just letting them go halfway through the <laughs> net is hilarious. <laughs> I love how long that, well, how long that scene is as well. Like, it just <laughs> the entire song. It's really drawn out. <laughs> but, uh, and it's it's funny because you say dumb comedy. I that's that's, a, that's a, like that's a term of endearment though. I just mean it in terms of like, yeah, like I mean it's it's dumb in the way that puns are done. You know what I mean, yeah. like in that sort of thing. But and and really, what this film does trade in is a lot of visual puns and and uh, metatextual puns. And that's the thing. I think it's it's dumb and brilliant all at once because it's so metatextual in a way that films just weren't at that point. Like just taking, like you said, flick, taking from commercials, taking from popular culture, mm. taking from that, and like, but not in a stupid, where did this sort of genre ended up? The Friedberg and Seltzer films of date movie and and scary movie and stuff like that. Exactly. Just, it's like wow. scary movie is not going to have the longevity that um, Airplane does. Yeah. No. Because no, it's not. Because they're not just pointing at things and laughing. They're, po- yeah. they're grabbing something that that is from their time and they're making a joke out of that that mm-hmm. endures um yeah. and it's bloody brilliant and, and, and yeah anyone know why um i'm sure it's a really quick googleable answer mm. um why is it called flying high in australia um i don't know the oh, answer but do you I, know paul 
I don't know. Do we say airplane here? Like, do we do we talk? I, about... I grew up with knowing this film was flying high. Yeah, Me too. no, yeah. but I mean, we we like as Australians, do we call you know? As far as I know, we always used to say airplane. You know, hey, look, we're going out away in an airplane. We don't say airplane. I think airplane yeah, is okay. an American term, and yeah. I think they just changed it to flying high because it's... otherwise, yeah. It got given so many different titles, though. It's ridiculous. The, um, the Some of the titles are just for other countries. Are, um, Tighten your seatbelts. The pilot is gone. Um, <laughs> I like that one. That's yeah. good. <laughs> the, the pilot in, is gone. The incredible trip in a crazy airplane. Um, <laughs> fasten Accurate. your seatbelts, please, and land as you can. <laughs> land as you can. <laughs> That is amazing. Yeah. Um, yeah, and of course, very famous for getting actors not only Leslie Nielsen but also Robert Stack and Lloyd Bridges. Um, these sort of actors who uh, would do would be in these kind of movies for real, and getting them to spoof their roles by playing them absolutely straight but saying these absurd things. And I think between, I mean, I'm a huge fan of Zucker Abraham Zucker as a team. And everything they touched in the 80s was gold. But between this, the TV series Police Squad and Top Secret, I can't, I can't think of anything else since even that is so loaded with visual humour and visual mm. puns. Mm. Say, like, with the exception of The Simpsons, I can't think of any other piece of pop culture where it is so laden with visual jokes. Yeah. I was uh, actually... Yeah, I was, I was going to say some other recommendations because when I was trying to think through what else might have been a good pick, my other one was Kingpin because I was thinking um, that for me has that same crassness and that's a big part of why I love this film. There's like a blowjob joke in, in Airplane and, like, Kingpin has that same vibe. <laughs> Kingpin is uh, currently on SBS On Demand if anyone wants to watch it because my brother has been texting me all week saying <laughs> Roy Munson is on SBS now. I haven't seen it in years, but, yeah, it's streaming now. Oh, I love Kingpin. Honestly, check that out as well. I feel like I'm learning a lot about my co-host. <laughs> um, but, yeah, this is um, – and, and – uh, Robert Hayes and Julie Haggerty are, are both pitch perfect in this movie. It's it's just so yeah, it's endlessly rewatchable, and I'm just I, I'm dazzled by the way this and their other work from from this time just holds up decades later. I think it's just so bulletproof in that way. It's a joke machine in a way that a lot of the best comedies in history, like whether like Marx Brothers Duck Soup mm-hmm. or yep. um, uh, Buster Keaton's Steamboat Bill Jr., are just brilliant perfect like great white shark joke machines and i think this is one of those yeah i agree yeah it's the best so airplane aka flying high is now streaming on amazon prime video and available to rent or buy on youtube rentals itunes and google play you're listening to primal screen on triple r triple r you're listening to Primal Screen on Triple R with Flick Ford and Sally Christie and myself, Paul Anthony Nelson. So please join us at a distance of no less than 1.5 metres for our final film of, our final comfort movie, I should say, of the evening. Everybody be cool. You be cool. Who picked this one, I wonder? Uh, <laughs> From Dusk Till Dawn is the third feature film directed by Robert Rodriguez and the fifth written by Quentin Tarantino. Following Seth Gecko, George Clooney, and his younger brother Richard Tarantino, who are on the run after a bloody bank robbery in Texas, after taking the Fuller family hostage, 
made up of preacher Jacob, Harvey Keitel, his daughter Kate, Juliet Lewis, and adopted son Scott, Ernest Yu. Uh, and commandeering their RV, the Gecko brothers escape across the border into Mexico and will be home free the next morning to pay the local kingpin and set the family free. All they have to do is survive the night at the rendezvous point, an extravagant trucker and biker bar come strip joint called the Titty Twister. Little do they know, this place hides an ancient evil nobody, even the resourceful murderous Gecko Brothers, could possibly be prepared for. Uh, so this was my pick. Um, <laughs> I, no, really? I know, right? <laughs> Who saw this coming? I love this film intensely. And it's, 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 it's a strange one because it came after that sort of I mean, like obviously being a, a young, a sort of emerging film fan and budding filmmaker in the 90s, uh, Quentin Tarantino was incredibly important to me in terms of just uh, a, sort of a career goal almost. Um, but it was, you know, this new voice and in a way that really hadn't hit sort of film culture in, in many, many, many years. But it was all that sort of 90s indie stuff that came out of that as well. And Robert Rodriguez was also a big part of that, his Rebel Without a Crew book and making El Mariachi for $7,000 and and then this. And this was kind of – and I love Desperado as well, which is another film I could have easily have picked for tonight. Um, but there's there's something about – and this is, um, this is an earlier – Tarantino screenplay as well like even though it came out after the boom of Reservoir Dogs, True Romance and Pulp Fiction Natural Born Killers he wrote this before them this was one of his first this was actually his first paid screenwriting yeah I saw that today that this was the first one that he sold this was his kind of first gig and it wasn't he didn't sell it for that much either did he no it was like fifteen hundred (laughs) dollars yeah and it was to Robert Kurtzman of uh, um, K&B Kurtzman Nicotero and Berger who are the like the greatest one of the greatest makeup artists working team of makeup artists working in films today and creature effects and all sorts of things so it's weird that these two origin stories sort of combined like you know kmb wind up being behind the walking dead um uh so it's this kind of weird origin and they they, in in exchange for uh quint because essentially robert kurtzman had written this story about you know these criminals that stay overnight in this, you know, vampire bar. Spoilers. Um, and it's all right, uh, you you can spoil it now. What year? What year was this released? Nineteen ninety six. So yes. the twenty four okay, years, years you is you know past the statute of limitations. <laughs> but um, for writing the script, and, and he hired Tarantino for fifteen hundred dollars to write the screenplay. He wrote this, and in return, they did the ear effect and stuff in Reservoir Dogs for free. Um, yeah, I I'll be honest. At the age of 20, when I saw this, I wanted to be Seth Gecko for about six months. Um, I was a little obsessed with George Clooney after seeing this. I feel like this is one of the all-time... I talk, We talked about Tim Curry with all, one of the all-time great film debuts. This technically wasn't Clooney's debut. He'd made a handful of films before this, before ER. This was his first film out of ER, though. And the way he just commandeers the screen in this, it's just like, oh, my God, this guy's a movie star. Mm-hmm. Like... Every any no matter who's on the screen, you're looking at that guy, um, and I just I love it. so so it's this sort of weird kind of it's not as mature as Tarantino's, you know, some of the work that preceded it, but it's it's just so crazy, um, and I love the lines and I love the characters and I've spoken enough. <laughs> I I um have a real soft spot for this film as well. I really love it too. I 
really sort of fell in love with Tarantino's work when I was still in primary school. I think he was the first director that I kind of became aware of that there were directors. Mm. So um, my mum would take me to see his movies. She'd um, like sneak me in and this, <laughs> this was the one that, they wouldn't let me into and I was so upset about it. It was melting wow. cinemas. I'll never get over it. <laughs> you know they um they and they changed the blood to um green just to get past yeah. all the race. Yeah, and they, <laughs> they still they still wouldn't let me in. And I was like, I was oh. so raw about it. And my older brothers had seen it and I was just so pissed off. Um but the combination of Tarantino and, and Rodriguez in this film is incredible. I had seen four rooms before this. Mm-hmm. And just seeing those two, even though they're separate stories but work together, um, they just work so beautifully together. And the separation of, you know, the kind of being, you know, this crime film to them becoming a horror film, it's so seamless and it's so much fun. Like it's and and all the performances in this movie are fucking spectacular. <laughs> yeah, aren't they? I love yeah. They're all so good. Like yeah. it's just another film that like all three of these movies, I'm not a big re-watcher of films, but all three of the films that we're talking about tonight I've seen so many times and <laughs> I just get such pleasure out of every one of them. Yeah. The on-screen performances are exceptional. I found this yep. like such a, I mean, the script is perfection. It's really, <laughs> really snappy dialogue and just like so watchable. And I can totally understand why you wanted to be Seth Gecko. Um, <laughs> 100%. As tribal tattoos up the party. <laughs> just something vaguely queer about the Caesar haircut and the like the leather yes. vest and no oh. shirt. Yeah, Just, absolutely. Here's um the the banter with um George Clooney and Tarantino in this film. I love, especially yes. that uh, the, as the title sequence starts and they're yes. walking away and the <laughs> bottle shop is exploding and they're just arguing. Yes, it's such good sibling, you know, not rivalry, but just just bickering. Um, I was saying, oh, sorry, I was going to say, I was saying off air that I saw this link, great link between all of the films that were picked tonight. And I think that for me, it's all of them have some sort of reference to cinema itself. So Tarantino, obviously, you know, one of his trademarks is to work in all of these different um, film references, you know, Titty Twister. I'm pretty sure that's the bar from Apocalypse Now, right? (laughs) And I don't know if it's the bar, but but I know they modeled the exterior of the compound. But there's so much, and like um, a lot of the, oh, the Salma Hayek's character is from like a Mexican horror film. Her name, Santanico Pandemonium, is the title of a Mexican horror film. Yeah. Yeah. And like there's all these little film references through it. And like obviously, Airplane is just spoofs of film. And then also with um, Rocky Horror Picture Show, you've got all this like the wonderful opening where it's like referencing all these science fiction and horror. One, and, like, one of my quarantine tasks that I want to do is to watch every film that is um, mentioned in the opening. Oh, <laughs> nice. That is, that was, that's so perfect. That's a great yeah. task. Yeah. That's a nice little task. But I just liked the fact that when presented with this task for this week, we each sort of went for films that are in their own ways odes to cinema. And I just thought that was really lovely. And we're all obviously such weirdos. that we <laughs> bunch. We're Weirdos, but we're weirdos who love cinema. And yeah. all these films clearly love cinema. Yeah. Yeah, that's a absolutely. great link. <laughs> and yeah, I just think that this is like, I just think it's such a great, like the modern drive-in movie is so hard to do the modern midnight movie. And I think this is one of the ones that gets closest. Like I love Grindhouse, 
like the 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 Rodriguez Tarantino yeah. team up ten years later, and Death Proof in particular is a real grow for me. Again, that was my other choice for tonight. Like if I hadn't have gone with this, I probably would have gone with Death Proof. Uh-huh. But I think this is a better grindhouse midnight movie than those are i feel like this just fits it because it's so weird and unpredictable and you know has all these genre greats i mean uh, um tom savini is sex machine <laughs> oh, it's fantastic like uh, it's just yeah and yeah. and also talking about metatextuality like the per- there's a scene where a long-haired guy he's sitting with has a has a bottle of beer and then sex machine whips it out of his hand and takes it that person is uh, Greg Nicotero. So oh, it's almost oh. like young makeup artist yes. and then old, you know, master makeup artist goes, no, you, I'll have that, thank you. It's I like was, this nice I was what, re-watching this with my um, husband the other night and he's like, you know who that is, don't you? I was like, yes. It's <laughs> Got it. <laughs> Fred Williamson, John Saxon. Like, yeah, they're all there. It's, it's, I actually- yeah, I was going to say, I just found it so much, like when you are saying before how it's a classic sort of midnight movie, I feel like maybe because I was a quite a quite a bit younger when it came out, for me this was just like that sneaky like after school special where you'd kind of go <laughs> <laughs> sneak in to watch like a film that your parents definitely didn't want you to watch but you're like, well, I can watch it at my friend's house. <laughs> I like how you was that, that friend? <laughs> yeah, you were corrupting kids with this yeah, sort of film, friend. and it sounds like like a sleep, almost like a sleepover movie. Mm, yeah, absolutely, slumber party type film. Yep. Yeah, I just, I, I just love every like the other films we discussed tonight. I just love every minute of this film. I, I just from yeah, from the opening bickering about whether John Hawks is saying help us <laughs> to the ranger yeah. to like, I just yeah, I'm in. I just adore it. Mm-hmm. Um. But yeah, it's I like it is. It really is. I know it's a weird choice for a comfort movie, but it's there's something just utterly. Everything is so high. No, and it's it's fun. I I don't think it's a weird choice. I think yeah. I think this is a fun movie. Like it's an absolute hoot. And yeah, I, especially Juliette Lewis and George Clooney in this movie are just so so great. Just terrific in this. Yep. That's one of the best performances. I think that too, because you know we normally see her as quite somebody that's quite bombastic, and she's really kind of reserved in this film mm. i will say one thing before we close hands down best tarantino performance like yes. there's been so any like in in when he pops up in films it's generally like oh they could have probably cast someone else in that role they've just got him there because he's quentin and he's been fun in other things like desperado but this is like he feels perfect casting like it just feels yeah, like this yeah. weird you know <laughs> creepy he's ma- yeah he's making fun of himself which yeah. makes it even better. And gets to suck on Selma Hayek's feet. <laughs> That's a flex if I've ever seen one. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so From Dusk Till Dawn is now streaming on Stan, Amazon Prime Video and Foxtel Now. You're listening to Primal Screen on Triple R. Triple R. You're listening to Primal Screen on Triple R with Sally. Christie, Flick Ford, and myself, Paul Anthony Nelson. We discussed our comfort movies. Sally's comfort movie, The Rocky Horror Picture Show, now available to rent or buy on YouTube rentals, iTunes, and Google Play. Flick's comfort movie, Airplane, aka Flying High, is now streaming on Amazon Prime and available to rent or buy on YouTube rentals, iTunes, and Google Play. And my comfort movie, From Dusk Till Dawn, is now streaming on Stan, Amazon Prime, and Foxtel Now. They're really all of our comfort movies. We've, we're cle- <laughs> we clearly all adore all three of them. Yeah. 
You can also subscribe to the Primal Screen podcast via iTunes or wherever else you find your favorite podcast. Next week, we, we're going to be looking at some new movies uh, for a change. Uh, a few uh, original, new original films that have uh, hit streaming in the last few weeks. Um, stay tuned to our Facebook page during the week when we reveal what they are. Yeah. A huge thank you to Morty Osborne for editing the Primal Screen podcast and to Killer Carl Chapman for panelling and providing producing assistance for our show. Thanks for listening to Primal Screen, a weekly radio show airing Monday evenings on Triple R. Hope you've enjoyed the podcast version and feel free to get in touch via the Primal Screen Facebook page or the Triple R website.